Good morning, church. My name is Greg Pirtle. I'm the family minister here at Greenville Oaks. Uh, glad you're with us this morning. Uh, this is week two in our generation series where we're talking about passing on the faith in our family at home, but also in our church family. And we're blessed this morning to have Dr. David Fraze with us. David has spent 26 years in student youth ministry, most recently at the Hills Church in Fort Worth. Just in the last few weeks, he's taken on a new role, transitioning into ministry outside of the church context full-time, where he is now the director of character coaching. I mess that up, or I get close to messing that up every time, but that's good. There we go. Uh, The director of character coaching for Fellowship of Christian Athletes, where he is working with FCA to put men and Christian men and women in public, private schools with athletic teams to help these students so that the message of Jesus Christ can be shared in ways that are, that are appropriate and available to us through that avenue. So that's an exciting thing as a former character coach myself. I'm excited about that. And also, he serves as the special assistant to the president at Lubbock Christian University. So we are blessed to have David with us this morning. Would you join me in welcoming him? They told me this morning when y'all were probably still sleeping, I like woke up at five something and drove over here and they're like, and don't stand on the stage, it's under construction. And uh, don't stand heavy. I, I'm a heavy guy. So this falls down, good being with you during class. It's awesome. <laughs> 26 years of student ministry. When you think about that, either I am like just certifiably crazy or really called. And I feel like it's the latter. Now, my executive director at FCA, he was explaining to somebody what I'm doing, and he says it's a little bit of both, crazy and, uh, and called. But I love student ministry. I believe in what I'm doing. And I believe in the message that you're going to hear today and the opportunity to be able to share that really all throughout the country, to be connected with Fuller Seminary, to be connected to Lovett Christian and FCA, the ways that we do things to reach teenagers have to change because the world's changed. Now, 26 years ago, youth ministry was pretty simple. I remember I was 19 years old. This is pre-26 years ago. I was an intern, 1988, when Van Halen just got involved with that whole Sammy Hagar stuff. That's a whole different sermon. I mean, they gave me the keys to a 21-passenger people mover at 19 years of age, no CDL. They threw me the keys. This was my second week in the summer at this church, take the kids to the youth rally. Do you remember those? Thousands of kids would show up around Dallas-Fort Worth. I loaded up a 21-passenger vehicle and drove the students to the youth rally. Came back. I was an hour late because I thought I-20 was I-30 and yada, yada. That, those days are over. That's called lawsuit, okay? We've left this And you could tell a story, you could say, hey, we're going to camp, and there was no cell phones, you actually wrote encouragement notes with pens and paper, what God intended. I mean, there was stuff there, and then things got kind of crazy. It's like, okay, we're going to leave the pens and paper, and we got this thing called an overhead projector. It's going to blow your mind. We're going to take transparencies, and we're going to actually put the words up on the wall, so you don't even need your songbook. And there's actually articles read. Some of you remember this. There were our 
church people in the churches of Christ that actually believed that if you lowered the songbook, the next thing that happened, your hands would go up. And so it was the beginning of charisma all right there in the churches of Christ because we had an overhead projector. You remember that? Great arguments. I mean, it was a lot of fun. So after that, we had this thing called a PowerPoint. And I remember going into an elementary school where my friend was the principal, and he said, every one of you teachers will have to have a PowerPoint. I'm like, that's never going to fly in youth ministry. Look at us. You can't speak without one of those. You don't even know what to do. You got, give me a picture, please, Dave. We've been conditioned to that. So we left PowerPoints. Now we got to have videos embedded. And sooner or later, I'm just going to think my message. And holograms will start showing up around the auditorium. Very cool idea. Whoever wants to invent that, let's talk. I mean, that'd be awesome. We have more trained youth workers than ever. Every one of our Christian universities, we work really hard to get our students equipped to understand the culture they came out of, how to interpret and contextualize the culture for if they're going to Dallas, for where they're Houston, or Laz Buddy, wherever you are, to contextualize that. We give them resources. They could go on their phone and look up right now ministries, and they can get any video from any speaker all over the world. You can speak, and your message gets sent all over the world. Today at the Hills, in our online service, we have individuals that are having church all over the world listening to that message. It is amazing. And in all of that technology, and in all of that preparation and resourcing, we still lose 40 to 50% of all the students who come to our youth group. And you're like going, well, Dave, they're going to come back because what they're going to do is they're going to leave our tribe and they're just going to go to a non-denominational church. When they have kids, they're going to come back. No, they leave the Christian faith. That's the best numbers I can give you. 40 to 50% who've got our absolute best programming are still walking away. And that led me to the beginning of a journey in 2008. I'd been doing youth ministry at that time up to 20 years. And I'm like, i got to re-examine why do we do what we do. And it drove me to Fuller Seminary where I got my doctorate in the beginning of what we call sticky faith. I just got to be that much a part of it. And Brad and Kara and these people have developed something called sticky faith. Because what we did was we looked at the 50% who made it. And we ask them, what was it about your experience in the most resourced, the most incredibly professional youth workers you've ever had? Why did you remain faithful to the church? And we've come up with some best practices. And boy, we needed that. Because in America, what we do is if our kids aren't getting it, and the educators are about to say, amen, we find another program to get them to get it. Don't you hate that at the beginning of the semester, all you educators, private or public school, some superintendent, if you are one, I love you, or principal goes, guys, we have another initiative, so our kids' test scores will rise. And as a teacher, you're like, it's another thing. It's going to be paperwork. I'm going to have to fill it out. More paperwork. And you start shaking. That's why you drink so much coffee. you got to go, ah! I'm going to share with you today, not another thing, but the thing. Because how we responded to American Christianity is we just started more professional programs. It's called siloing. And we look like a West Texas town with a bunch of grain elevators. It's like, okay, children, we're going to start over here. We're going to make it a program. We're going to put people in front of you and puppets and costumes and songs. And there you go. You're going to leave that. You're going to go to middle school ministry. We're going to put you in vans. We're going to put up with your smells. We're going to listen to your stupid jokes. 
You're going to meet all the writings by a guy named Francis Chan. Okay, so then they go to high school and you're like, now we're going to take you on bigger trips. May send you to a third world country. You're going to go to all of our universities. You're going to pick one of those universities. You're going to go there. You're going to meet somebody who's Christian. You're going to come back. You're going to have Christian babies and you're going to be a deacon, an elder, and a die. I mean, that's what we tell them. But there are some churches in, our, in, in Christendom that a kid can go from cradle roll all the way to college and never set an adult auditorium and listen to the senior minister. Because we're so divided. You know, for years I said this in Bible class, it's like we always feel like we're 10 years behind the Baptist. If you're a Baptist, welcome. But we always felt very competitive with you, right? You'd get a fellowship hall. That's what we called them. You called it a gym. You played basketball in there. We had people offended. We had to call it a fellowship hall and hide the goals until all the people left. They didn't like the goals. Isn't it fun? Just joking. I know some of y'all probably lost friends over that. Don't mean to, but think about it. This is something that we do in our tribe that is unique in the landscape of American Christianity. There are children in our assembly this morning. I love it. I hope a baby just like, ah! I like when that happens. I like when a mom has to leave because her baby's going crazy in church. Because it means there's something here. There is a welcoming spirit. There is a secret to that. When Jesus was speaking about children, I love this verse because in Matthew 10, you've got to get the context. It says, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. What was going on? Jesus is talking about the kingdom. He's having church, okay? He's talking to the adults about what's going to happen. And these kids just break through and like, I want to see Jesus. And the adults, in adult fashion, are like, this is not time. Children's worship is under that cypress tree. I, I don't know what they did. <laughs> Mary and Martha have the yarn. They're going to be making whatever they're going to make for children. No, this child comes right up to Jesus and the adults are trying to keep them away because Jesus is doing important adult stuff. And here's that word, you can't make it up. It said he was indignant. That's a weird way for the NIV to say that he was really hacked off, okay? That word in the Greek is like he's snorting mad. He has like snot running down, stop it. I mean, this is God in the flesh getting really angry because children weren't able to come to him. And then he used a child, remember, to say, if you want to know what the kingdom of God's like, it's like this kid right here, curious, full of wonder, can take risks, and follows any challenge. See, there's something that we lose when we silo and we leave and give everybody their professional. There's something that happens in this midst, and you know it. Why do you know it? Because it's at the very core of Scripture. It's the law the perfect first law that Jesus would add Leviticus 19 to and say the second commandment was like this one. This is the very core of the law, the very core of everything we were to be about as a people of God is the Shema, Deuteronomy 6. Eugene Peterson, it's a paraphrase. I get it, all you scholars. But he does a good job interpreting what the essence of Deuteronomy 6 is. Let's look at it. Attention, Israel. God, our God. God, the one and only. Love God your God with your whole heart. Love Him with all that is in you. Love Him with all you've got. Write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you. I love this. And then get them inside of your children. Talk about them wherever you are. Sitting at home, walking on the street, 
talk about them from time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. Tie them on your hands and your foreheads as a reminder. Inscribe them on the doorpost of your homes and on your cities. Two things you've got to know about this. The word for nuclear family, for mom and dad, is not in Deuteronomy 6. Is it implied? Absolutely. It starts with mom and dad, the single mom, the single dad, the blended family, the grandparents raising the kid. Yes, it starts there. But this is a message to all of us that we all have a responsibility to put the way of God straight before the eyes of our children, whether they come from your womb or not, mom. These are our children. You're like, are you telling me? I've already done my time in youth ministry. Do I got it? I'm not saying you got to load up in the junior high van, but I am saying that you need to act in such a way as to not discredit the Gospel of Jesus Christ we're trying to teach these kids. You are vital. You're like, I never had a kid, so I'm going to sit in the back. I'm going to leave. Drink my coffee and leave. Give me a preacher message. Let's go. I'll give my 10% and leave. No. Parents and the surrounding community of adults are expected, not asked. It's expected to model what it means to be a fully devoted follower of God. And we need a lot of adults who would commit to that. Parents or not. To break down the silos and say these kids are ours. And we are theirs. Are you with me on that? Some of you are like going, if you ask me to volunteer in youth ministry right now, I'm leaving. That's why i got people in the back watching the doors. I want you to hear me. Here's the truth after 26 years. It's a phraseism. So it's not in the Bible, but I think I can support it. We can't out-teach what happens in your home and in the surrounding adult community. We are not that good. I'm pretty good at talking to teenagers. I'm pretty good with the dog and pony show. I keep their attention. But I'm telling you, I can't out-teach what happens in your home. In the surrounding adult population, you have more power than I do to impress spirituality on the students. Now the problem is we've taken away because we've professionalized ministry. We have somehow devalued your role. You think, well, I can't teach like you. I don't know this stuff. Kids don't even want to be around me. Your kid may not, but another kid may. I hide from my kids all the time. I got two teenagers. I still volunteer. I'm at their school. I'm everywhere. I'm like a plague, okay? But I know where they are, and I'm like, okay, you have your space, but this kid needs me over here. You're like, well, my kid doesn't want me to volunteer. Then get on another van. Well, these kids don't like me. I scare people. Well, stop scaring people. But we are all needed to do Deuteronomy 6 type living. This is a serious game of pitch and catch. Caleb, come here. Somebody said, you, your hair is so cool. Can I say that? Are you a pitcher? A little? You need to become a pitcher and I'll call you the fireman because you've got red hair. Oh, get over there. Was that wrong? Is that hate speech? It's not hate speech. It's good. Okay, here we go. Uh, hey, we need to change this. Here, hold that. Um, it's not a baseball glove, but can you just like put that behind your back? Are you a lefty or righty? Okay, put that behind. Whatever you're not going to catch with. I don't want you to catch with that right now. Look at you. You're so cool. You're going to put it on the back of your hand. Okay, just play catch there for a second. Scary. It says caution, doesn't it? The last guy almost threw it down here. I almost died. Not yet. Don't use it yet. Don't use it yet. There you go. You're doing a pretty good job. Oh, grounder. There we go. Okay. Oh, did not intend that to happen. That was. 
Not being videotaped, is it? It's good. All right, now use your little catchy thing. It's going to be fun. Look at that. You didn't even have to cover. There we go. Such a good baseball player. There we go. Oh, that was not my fault. Did you see you used the orange part? Does it make it easier to catch when you have that big sticky thing on your hand? Thank you. That was the greatest illustration. Caleb, give him a hand. Thank you very much. One day you're going to make the majors and people are going to call you the fireman. It's going to be awesome. You'll remember this moment. We're looking at a very serious game of pitching and catching. And our role is to take the faith, to put it right before them. And some of you go literally live out Deuteronomy 6, and you put Hobby Lobby in business. You're like, Dave, I have scriptures all over my walls. Scripture tattoos on the children. Guess what? This is exactly what the people of Israel did. If you go back and look at architecture, they had Bible verses on everything. The Pharisees would carry Bible verses on their head. And they totally misunderstood what the Deuteronomist was trying to say. All he was saying is, when you live life, you keep the way of God right here before them. When you get up, when you walk around, do whatever it takes that when they see us, it is a solid pitch to them. So Fuller decided, okay, yes, it is responsibility that we can pitch a perfect game and somebody can take their eye off the ball, correct? I mean, that's a responsibility of a catcher. But we found things that enable students to have a little catchier reception. Talking to these 50% who made it. What were the things when the adults sent the faith, they caught it? So here's some of these sticky things. The number one will not blow you away. Sticky factor one, relationships with parents, youth leaders, and church members. In that order. That's not, you're like, Dave, you came all the way here. It is almost 12. We could beat the lunch rush. You're going to tell us that? Because you know it's true, but we forget it. When we looked at the information of Smith and Denton, there were two researchers out of North Carolina. Now they're at uh, in in, um, Notre Dame. They've looked at the spiritual life of young people today. And here is what they found. The same thing we found with Sticky Faith. That the number one and two impactors of a kid's spiritual life is mom and dad and then the surrounding adult community. And a distant third Not even close third, but an important third is organized youth ministry. Because all we do as youth ministers is try to create experiences that build relationships with parents and with adults in the church. So a successful trip is, and you know this, if you've ever volunteered, it's a youth minister's worst nightmare. We spend thousands of dollars to put on the dog and pony show, and there's a kid out there that looks at us like, oh, boring, They didn't want to be here, but then you get in the van ride home. And the kid comes and he sits next to you and he goes, can I talk to you for a moment? And I'm like, I could have saved a lot of money if you would have just said you wanted to talk. But without spending the money, the kid wouldn't have felt safe. So yes, slip and slides with food on the slip and slide mat has a theological purpose. Food fights. Holes in the walls of your youth center. All of that's great. Because it means there's life going on. And you're building opportunities to build relationships. You know this is true. I want you to think just for a moment of all of the lessons. Camps, 
retreats, whatever. Sermons other than this sermon, okay, that's going to radically change your life. Think of all the sermons that have moved you one step closer to Jesus. Go ahead, just think. Think of a number. A moment where you're like, this impacted my life. Colin's a big kid. He's gonna, he knows. He knows the truth. Got kind of a number in your head? Now, think about the number of adults that impacted your spiritual life. Came a lot easier, didn't it? You probably have a face in mind. I'm not saying get rid of our professional children and youth workers. That's, that's not what I'm saying at all, but put them in their rightful place. You are the first line of youth ministry. You're like, well, my kid doesn't get along and you're the youth group and they're so unfriendly. Are you connected to church? Are they connected to adults? Stop blaming it on the youth minister. When your kid doesn't receive faith, don't point fingers at the youth ministry and say they never fit in because you never pitched it to them. It starts with you. Yes, we can screw kids' lives up royally, but not as much as you. It starts at home. It starts with the people you decide to let hang around your kid and their priorities. And those, remember what Deuteronomy 6 is? You get that inside of you, then your kids will get it. So adult, what are you passionate about? Are you more interested that your kid gets a D1 scholarship? See it all the time. Are you more interested that your kid's going to get straight A so they'll get the scholarship they need? They know it. All important stuff. But where does faith rank on that? Because they're catching what you're pitching. Hey, Dr. Fraze, we're always in church. I'm not talking about being in church. That's not a checklist, by the way, of eternity. Never has been, never will be. If you have perfect attendance, enjoy. But according to the last chapter of Matthew and Luke, it's the service and what you do with this faith. Wow, it's getting preachy up in here. Next factor. A healthy view of the Gospel. It's amazing when Fuller interviewed these graduates three years after high school and asked them, what does it mean to be a Christian? Not one of the students' research, not one of them, mentioned Jesus in their answer. They mentioned good works. They mentioned doing good things. Practice faith. The problem is, is they saw their faith primarily as something we do to please God. And a list of do's and don'ts based on their own sin in check and balance. It's what Dallas Wheeler calls a gospel of sin management. I wrote this down because it's good. If my understanding of the gospel and its validity to save me is based on my own goodness, ability to wear a seatbelt, vote conservative, watch my language, stay away from cats, and dress appropriately for church, I'm in trouble. Because at some point, our students' behavior-based gospel come in contact with the ugliness of the world or experience personal and moral failure. And when this happens, a behavior-based gospel leaves a student feeling lost, hopeless, and alone to deal with their sin. We got to go deeper. There's a song we used to sing in youth rallies way back called Does He Still Feel the Nails? One of the worst songs ever written. I know there's probably a context for it, but we used to make kids absolutely weep. And we'd look at them and say, You're all sinners, and we're going to sing a song to remind you of how bad you are. Have you been smoking and cussing with the deacons behind the church? This song is for you. And the song was. Does he still feel the nails every time we fail? Can he still hear the crowds 
cry, crucify again. Using a Scripture from Hebrews out of context. The answer is no. The tomb is empty. He's not on a cross. There is a new life and a power. And so many times our kids, we hold them to a higher standard than we hold ourselves. And we're like, I can watch that movie. I can talk that way. I can have that attitude. Because I'm an adult. Did it work for you, adult? No. If you have a behavior-based gospel and you don't understand and experience the grace of God, it's hard to get that in your kids. So, Dave, are you saying we shouldn't make our kids wear seatbelts, vote liberal, use bad language, own cats, and wear shorts to church? No! Here's what I'm saying. John 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not, and here's the way I heard it as a kid, if you keep the commandments, God may think about loving. See the difference? Here's how Paul put it. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. Hold on there just for a second. That is the kind of faith that Paul says, when you leave the bubble of protection and the real world hits you, when you have failed morally and you wanted to do something right, but you proved Romans 7 right and you just couldn't get it together, where do you go? What do you do? Well, if you have a behavior-based gospel, you're filled with so much shame, you'll never go back to Greenville Oaks. You don't want those people to know what you did. But if you've been a t- taught a transparent, beautiful gospel that it's not about my good, but the good of the man who died for me, then that pain and perseverance develops into character and then hope. And some of you who've been walking with the Lord for a long time are so glad that God didn't give up on you. Amen. And this is why. Look at the rest of that verse. Just the right time. When we were still, say this with me, powerless. Christ died for the? Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still, Christ died for us. I don't care if you're second or third generation of Greenville Oaks and your family started this church or you're just new off the street and you're a guest. You have the same access to the grace of Jesus Christ through His sacrifice and not your own. Isn't that amazing? It's about not my behavior, but any good behavior that comes this side of my conversion is because of what Jesus did on the cross to justify me and give me the power of the Spirit to live different. When our kids get that, it changes everything. Another sticky factor is this, and you know this, participation is service and justice work. This is more than just sending our kids out and going, hey, spoiled little brats, I'm going to send you to this third world country, and you're going to see how people live in the other part of the world, and you're going to come back, and you're going to sleep in the flag, and you're going to be thankful you're an American, you're going to stop complaining, so go ahead and get in your BMW, you're not getting a Lexus. Really? That's sometimes in the 26 years what people said, yeah, that's the best thing that happens in mission trips is our kids know how thankful they are. Is that our highest value? 
Because you talk to these teenagers, the gig's up. They already know that. You know, back in the day as sociologists, we used to say a kid was moral if they served outside of themselves. And that was a marker of saying, okay, I'm growing. We ruined that, adults, because now every education program in college and high school, we make service a grade. We grade them on something that should be a marker for adult education. But no, we're like, oh, we're going to applaud these people. What happens if we change the way that we do service? Because the kids who made it looked around they said, what I did for my church was significant. And I didn't just do it with the youth group, but I turned around and all the adults were involved with it. Yesterday, we just got through with our men's conference. And it's radically different. It used to be a men's retreat. And it's a huge thing. And some of you may have been to it. We had 1,600 men. The ladies will have almost that much. And it's intergenerational. And it started eight years ago with this idea of service and justice work, that we've got to break down the silos. And I got a phone call from the women's ministry. Now, if you're a guest, you've got to know this. If the women's ministry calls you, and it's the coordinator, more than likely, they're married to an elder. So you're, you're just like, it's almost like Moses in the burning bush. Take your feet off, both shoes off, you're on holy ground. So I took a risk, because I believe in this principle. And she said, David, and you always know you're in trouble when they start like that. Yes, ma'am. The teenagers have always set up chairs and tables for the women's retreat. And we need you to do the same thing. I thought, took a deep breath, and I'm like, no, ma'am. Some silence on the other end. It's like, but the young people always serve the old people. And I'm like, I like that. But let's try this. Let's get the men's ministry to contact the young people and young and old men serve you at y'all's conference. We'll set up the tables and chairs and everything, but we'll all do it together because you're not going to give the busy work that adults don't want to do to the teenagers and call it spiritual service. Wow, it's told me. But it worked. And so, yesterday, dozens of young and old ladies served the men when they received spiritual encouragement. And a month ago, all of the men, young and old, served the ladies. We got rid of our leadership, men's and women's leadership things in youth, and we all have one big intergenerational mess, and it's fun. And eat lots of barbecue in the name of Jesus. Do you see the difference? Because we're doing it together, the social service and justice work. Another one is this, a sticky factor, freedom to express and explore doubt. This is so important. Some of you have bubble wrapped your kids. I mean, you're like, and you're like, you will only listen to anything that comes out of James Dobson, okay, because I'm just telling you, if the Ninja Turtles scare me, because turtles really don't do that, and it's weird, and Barney, I, who knows what planet he comes from, and I'm pretty sure he's a messenger of Satan. I mean, what, whatever happens. That could be true, by the way. Barney's freaky. Um, I wish that I could wrap my kids up in a bubble that they would never have to hear what they hear. They would never have to see what they see. But it's impossible. A few years ago, you would turn across the bridge to go into our youth center where the hills is, and Danica was in a bikini on a sign, come to NASCAR, right there on a billboard. So here's all these people coming to church seeing Danica in a bikini and everything inside of me wanted to put Rick Ashley's face on that sign. <laughs> Welcome to the hills. It's impossible. 
And in our world today, we have to make room for our students to say, I know this is what you're pitching, but I'm having a hard time catching. There's some things they need to explore and express that doubt among us, church. Because if we don't have the ability to embrace their doubt and let them explore it among us. They're going to go on the internet and found who knows what, and they're going to go off to a school somewhere and receive who knows what. They have to be able to express and explore doubt among us. If not, they will go somewhere else. You're like, I don't know how to answer some of the things they're asking. It's complicated, folks. Same-sex attraction. Marriage to the same sex. We have the idea of Worship styles, denominationalism, way down at the bottom now is creation and evolution. That was almost the easiest days, right? There's all kinds of things that they need to know and feel freedom to express among us. Do we believe Proverbs 2, verse 3? Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure... Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. I believe that verse. Do you? Our kids need someone who is involved in relationship with them that know the Gospel is not one of behavior, but of grace orientation that changes behavior. They need to see us working alongside them, trying to make the world a better place so that then they can come and say, why is this person poor and that person rich? And why is that person this way? Why is that person this way? Where am I supposed to be in this world? That needs to happen and can only happen when they feel that freedom. i got to say this. I don't know everything about the makeup, but some of the students that we have the hardest time with that feel the less freedom to express us, explore doubt, come from the most protective environment. And I have no, I'm not throwing a rock at homeschool or Christian school, but I'm saying if you do not create an environment where they can ask questions and feel the freedom to, you are setting them up for failure because they will ask those questions when they leave your home and they will have no moral compass by which to go to. Does everybody understand me? This is huge. Okay, we all have to have those conversations. All right, here's another faith factor, sticky faith factor. Real relationships with friends. A few weekends ago, we got together for the National Conference of Youth Ministry, and we had Dudley from OC, we had Walter from Lipscomb, we had Robert from ACU and myself. We're having this panel, and we're talking about all the individuals that were not involved in student ministry and why. And every one of us were talking about the lack of real friendships that some of those people had. They were not able, they didn't have anybody that would look them in the face and say, what you're doing is wrong. This is not a good idea. You need to stop doing this. We so need to go to a level of real relationships in our churches. The students who made it, the students who are part of that 50% said they had people in their group that would ask them hard questions. They didn't just talk about what's popular and who's what's wearing. Are you wearing Toms? Are you wearing Sperry's? What sport are you in? They went deeper in their conversation. And that made a difference. Some of them are still connected with those friends when they go through life. Because it made a difference. Let me talk to you young married people for a moment. When Lisa and I were young married, and everybody, we, our kids are adopted, so we had to wait 10 years. I mean, we tried, and that's a whole different story. But, you know, there's some of our couples that they could look at each other and have babies, you know, like, oh, you're pregnant. Um, explain that one to your kids. I forgot we had kids. That's fun. You're welcome. Um, 
But you go, you're in those situations where we would go into young married classrooms and they talked about absolutely nothing. Because by that time, uh, I'd lost my dad. Lisa lost her dad and her mom. We had all kinds of loss in our family. We had a bus wreck in 99. A lot of experiences. And we wanted to talk about real stuff. But we'd walk into these classes and they were like, oh, what does your husband do? He's a youth minister, cricket. Um, oh, really? Well, where do y'all go to your health club? Really, we're going to move over here to this gated community. Where do you think we should live? Well, nice cars. You good for the kids? What videos do you like your kids to wear? Oh, these grapes look great. And it was all this surface conversation. And we had so much real life, we were just looking for someone to have a real conversation with. And you know who really brought us in and helped us with our pain? The senior saints of the church. I remember the day that my wife, as she had just dealt with a miscarriage, had three or four of those. She's sitting in church and a senior saint walked by and looked at her and pulled her aside and just held her and she said, I had two miscarriages. And they just wept together. And that's hard for an older saint to sometimes talk about personal life. And it was like the salvation for my wife. It was a real conversation. Young marriage, if you want to raise your kids in a deep, sticky faith manner and show the way that they have deep conversations, we got to get deeper. We got to talk about life, stewardship, accountability, marriage, the messiness, and stop posting things on Facebook that are your highlight reels about how great your kids are, because we all know they're not that great all the time. Okay. So let's end with this. Our responsibility is our pitching. So the first question I'm going to ask everybody in the adult audience, I would say also, for the teenagers who have someone looking up to you. Because teenagers, these kids who just left the children's church, someone's following your lead and you are validating this whole Christian thing for them. So how's your pitching? Because a little twist of the wrist, some of you played baseball, the ball can go up and down, sideways, or drop right in front of you. So how clear are you pitching the ball? It's important. Here's what Jesus said. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hug around their neck than to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Not a lot of Vacation Bible School songs about that verse. Adam is not going to start service next week with millstones of Jesus. I mean, we're not going to do that. Do you see how serious he is? Some of you come here and you drop your kids off and you say, hey guys, fix them. Jesus is like, fix yourself. Preach me a better sermon, Colin. I'm going to go to sleep. Keep me entertained. And Jesus is saying, you're the one making the pitch. What are you talking about when you get in the car? What's your priorities like, Dad? What's your priorities like, Mom? How are you living your life? That should make us all a little nervous. How about you? I mean, are you feeling that? I'm the preacher going, oh my word. I mean, did you just hear what Jesus said? But at the end of the day, if you don't know the Lord and you're a guest here, this church is going to try. They, they're ripping up their stage. And here's one of the biggest reasons they're doing that. They want to make the pitch that you receive from this community of faith so clear that nothing gets in the way. That's the motivation. They care about you. But you still have to catch. Teenager, I'm telling you, you have a great youth minister as well. They're going to do all kinds of crazy stuff. 
Greg's going to do great leading this team. They're going to try to pitch as clear as they can. But you still got to catch it. At the end of the day, here's what Paul says. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. It's your responsibility to catch. Serious game of pitching and catching. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray for you and we'll end this assembly. Again, this is the beginning of a journey. Colin's going to speak more next week. And then your church is going to, I, I just know, not the leadership of Greg and this team, that there's going to be a lot of things asked of you, not something that we're another program, but to help us do what we're called to do according to the greatest commandment, Jesus said, is to impress upon our children the way of God. Because if our kids don't get it, I hope it's on their head and not ours, right? As free moral agents, if they choose not to catch it, I don't want to have a doubt in my mind that I didn't put it straight down the middle. And so I ask that the Holy Spirit today would do some work on your hearts, dads and moms, brothers and sisters. That you look at your life and when you look in that mirror, you say, how much do I look like Jesus or how much do I look like this world? And that you, because of the grace of God, change your behavior. God loves you. Don't worry about that. That's not what this is about. Change your behavior because the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you is a new believer. And if you're out there going, I don't know about this stuff, catch the ball. Keep your eyes. We're going to try to throw it right down the middle. Father, thank You so much for this church. Thank You so much for this assembly. I pray that You would give us courage and boldness. Every one of us as we clearly pitch the message of Jesus in His way. And Father, I pray for conviction and courage as well for those to catch it clearly. And all who agree, say, Amen.